The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We will talk if Wisconsin sports have any examples of the Duke, North Carolina Final Four apocalypse, however you want to describe it. Is there a Wisconsin version of this? We will break it all down both at the professional and the college level. We'll talk a little baseball. The Kestenichiro Renaissance is on. Rowdy Telez buy stock now. And the Albert Pujols overreaction, I guess is the best way to call it. Probably going to get a little fired up about Pujols. Then lastly in Chuck's Corner, why we need to stop saying everything is fucking fake in our society because it is obnoxious. So we'll do that at the end. Um, today's good show today. Uh, before we get going, you guys know the deal. Tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. We just posted a thing about Mark Murphy that also went to Facebook. Tapping the keg at sports as well. So make sure you check that out. Make, go, go give it a like. Maybe give your opinion in the comments. We'd love to hear it. Uh, also, too, make sure you're rating and reviewing if you're already subscribed. If you aren't subscribed, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. But make sure you're hitting that subscribe button. I think you'd like to hang out with us if you enjoy Wisconsin sports. All right, let's start with Wisconsin examples around Duke, North Carolina. Suit North Carolina play on Saturday night. It is one of the most anticipated Final Four games. I think it is the most anticipated Final Four game since Kansas, North Carolina in 2008. That to me is the only one that I can remember off the top of my head that had this much hype. If you remember, that game featured Roy Williams facing his old team, Kansas, in a showdown because both teams, I believe at that time, were the one seed. You'd have to fact check me on that, but they were both high seeds. They were both contenders on that side of the bracket. Kansas ended up blowing out North Carolina, moving on to the national championship, and then ended up winning the national championship with an all-time collapse from Memphis, and that netted the Jayhawks their last national championship, I believe. That was, to me, the last time we saw a game that had this amount of hype. Now, 2008 is a lot different than 2022. 2022, the hype machine is rocking and fucking rolling. It's never going to stop. It is the only thing that people are going to talk about in the sports world for the next few days. Because of the Coach K retirement angle, because it is the first time Duke and North Carolina are facing off against each other in the in the Final Four, which... For a lot of people, which I do agree, is a bigger event than the national championship game. The Final Four carries more, I don't know, it's a weird weight. I mean, Tate Frazier said it on Titus and Tate, which if you're not listening to that, what are you doing? Uh, To me, the best college basketball podcast that's out there saying that Final Fours are forever. And he's absolutely right. You will always remember your Final Four teams if you're a fan of college basketball. Badger fans finally remember the 2014 team. They imagine the 2015 team. They also remember the 2000 team, right? That got there, ran into a buzzsaw that was Michigan State, who ended up going on to win the national championship. And that was the last time the Big Ten won a national championship. And then you also have Marquette, who won, got to the Final Four in 2003. And even though they got mollywopped by a team that won the national champion, no, no, Syracuse won, excuse me. Uh, Shan's going to be like, what the fuck? Uh, but yeah, they Marquette still was in a Final Four. It still matters. It still carries 
a weight, right? But I don't think that a lot of times you'd even remember the national championship game if you don't get there or you don't have a massive collapse like the Badgers did in 2015. And some could say it's referee influence. That's fine. Not here for your opinion. I think that there is more of that Final Four forever style where you always will remember the run. And no matter what happens now, it's kind of house money. All right. Even it, even a fucking collapse like the Badgers had, like I think if we talked about it in, you know, years from now and even now, I mean, it's seven years old and I, I don't mean to take this off the tracks, but even if we talked right now, I would say that that is an accomplishment in the highest degree. That is the most successful Wisconsin team that has ever existed. They beat an undefeated Kentucky team that looked like a, a juggernaut all season. And the Badgers were able to beat them in the final four, move on to face Duke. They had Duke on the ropes and they just couldn't land the last knockout punch. And while that is frustrating, while that probably will always live with Badger fans, given the fact that Wisconsin is probably the Hall of Fame member of good, not great, or, you know, football, football, basketball, you know, mainstays, it, it's still a really big accomplishment. And if North Carolina fights Duke to the death, right? Like, let's say this game goes down to the wire, Bancaro hits a shot late, and Duke wins, and Duke survives. That is still an, a great, great season for North Carolina team that was on the bubble for most of February, right? That you have to look at this like that and say, it's still an accomplishment. It'll take a while, especially if Duke wins the title and Coach K gets to ride out the way that he wanted to. That will for sure irk Carolina fans till the end of time. But at least, at least they will have that sort of, we got there, we didn't expect to, future looks a little bright with Hubert Davis. It's it's not necessarily going to be, you know, doom and gloom that they picked the wrong successor. This is a great start for what should be a great run of Carolina basketball and the next run of Carolina basketball. It, when looking at an equivalent in the state of Wisconsin, if we've ever had one or an example of one, I think the two closest examples are, there's no college example, first of all. Um, there really isn't. Um, Wisconsin Marquette would be the only one, hasn't happened. If it did happen, it would not carry as much weight as Duke, North Carolina. It just wouldn't. Uh, there are a lot of people who are outside of southeastern Wisconsin who are Marquette and Wisconsin fans. And they usually go to Mark Wisconsin when they play each other. So there'd be a lot more cheering for the Badgers. But it would be a intense game. I mean, it's still a rivalry between the teams. No, don't get me wrong. Like it would be an intense Final Four game. But most Final Four games are intense. So I don't know how much difference there would be. And there would be ultimate bragging rights, especially if that team went on to win the national championship. But I don't think it carries as much weight as Duke, North Carolina. There's not a chance. There are only a few basketball rivalries that to me would carry as much weight as Duke, North Carolina in a Final Four. I think Texas, Texas Tech right now with the Chris Beard stuff would carry that much weight. I think Florida, Kentucky is a pretty big rivalry when both teams are good. I think that would carry a lot of weight. I think whether it be Michigan State, 
Wisconsin or Michigan State, Purdue. Um, trying to think other Wisconsin, Minnesota. Honestly, it would never. I mean, that that is a far shot, long, long, long shot. But I think that carries a lot of weight. I think Indiana, Purdue. Right, that's another one where you could look at it and say, all right, that has like a Duke, North Carolina vibe. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State. That should easily been my first answer when I was talking about Michigan State. Like that carries weight. Um, Louisville, Kentucky. That's another one that I think a lot of people would look at and say, okay, those two guys, those two teams hate each other. USC, UCLA, right? I, I think all of those matchups would, you know, have the weight of Duke, North Carolina, but Duke, North Carolina is for sure the heaviest. But there's really nothing in the state of Wisconsin that pales, it pales in comparison. Marquette just does not have that Big East rival. Even if it was Marquette Villanova, I don't think we're looking at this as a big fucking deal. We're playing a rival, but it's not to, to the level of Duke, North Carolina. It's not the level of Wisconsin Marquette. And Marquette's going to renew their rivalry with Notre Dame, which is great. But the Notre Dame rivalry only really matters to, I think, the generation a little older than me and everybody older than that. It doesn't matter really to the Gen Z generation or even the millennials, honestly. So that would lead to say that there, there aren't a ton of examples of this. Now, if we go into the professional world and we're like, hey, are there, have there been examples of this? There have been. 2011 had, weirdly, 2011 and 2010 had two of them, weirdly enough. You had the Green Bay Packers against the Chicago Bears in the NFC Championship game. Now, even though that it was Packers-Bears for the right to go to the Super Bowl, there wasn't a ton of hype around it. Maybe I'm misremembering, but there wasn't this big deal about it that this was like this ultimate trump card and everything like that. I think it was because, and I think it's still true today, the Chicago Bears just haven't really been that much of a fierce rival. They haven't been a team that has basically upset the apple cart and won the division and beat the Packers multiple times. Aaron Rodgers' record against the Bears is impeccable. He's only lost four games. So that rivalry is not as intense as, say, if the Packers faced the Vikings in a NFC Championship game, that would be all time. That to me is our Duke, North Carolina, more so than Bears Packers, because there is a real fierceness about that rivalry. Both teams have won division titles. Both teams have snatched division titles from each other. The fan bases really dislike each other. I think with Chicago, it's it's hard because I, I don't know if it's as, again, it's not as intense. Vikings fans are brutal um, and they're not necessarily anything to do with like lovable losers. I think there's a little bit of a lovable loser mentality with the Bears. And I think if they got good for multiple years, they would start puffing their chests out or even one good year. I mean, we saw it with Bulls, right? Bulls fans were talking about how good they were, how they were going to run the East, all this stuff. And then they've lost to every good team possible. And they might even end up being a six seed crazy enough when it's all said and done. But still, like, you're, you don't have that rivalry with the Bears. The Packers and Vikings would be really fucking intense for the right to go to the Super Bowl. As for the Brewers, we had it in 2011 with the Cardinals. Um, that was a series the Brewers should have won. And that's one 
that will definitely hurt because the Cardinals then went on to win the World Series. They were a wild card team. They came out of nowhere. It looked like the Brewers had won the division. The Cardinals got red hot in the month of September. And that's sort of that that's all she wrote. That that became sort of the narrative from there is that the St. Louis Cardinals were able to overtake the Brewers. Brewers pitching was absolutely awful. They could hit a little bit, but the pitching was terrible. Ron Radicke did an awful job managing that starting rotation. And that led to the Brewers' demise. And the Cardinals then went, go on. You see the Cardinals celebrate at Miller, Miller Park. And then they win the World Series. But we are very far removed from that. I think the these things, these moments in history, only really have about a five or six year shelf window. Like I, I know Duke, North Carolina, it'll be an ultimate calling card and like, hey, we beat you and whatever. I guarantee you, though, the next generation of fans, whether it be in five or six years, will start maybe not talking about it as much. It will start to kind of go away. It will not be part of the discourse. It will be definitely part of the discourse in the first next year and the year after. No question about it. But it will not get to that level until or it will like kind of downgrade until like year five, year six. Because I, I like I think about that Brewers Cardinal series, it bothers me, it irks me, but they haven't met since. So there isn't a more recent example of that. And even if they met since and they met in like the divisional round, I don't think it would carry as much weight. Kind of saw it too with the Brewers and Cubs in the game 163. But both teams were going to make well, no, they went to the wild card game. So the Cubs went to the wild card game, they then lose to the Colorado Rockies. There was a hypothetical chance that the Brewers could have then played the Cubs in the divisional round, which would have been very intense. I think Brewers-Cubs, for the right to go to the World Series, would be extremely intense. I think that would be, you know, while the Cardinals thing was a big deal, and I still think it would be, I think Brewers-Cubs would be at another level just because of the Milwaukee-Chicago dynamic because of the Wrigley Field North, people who've called it Miller Park South in the past. Uh, I think there would be a lot there. I don't think those fan bases like each other too much. And I think that would be something people would want to hold over one's head. As for basketball with the Bucks, I mean, we've kind of seen it already. The Bucks, besides Philadelphia, have faced rivals in the playoffs. I think it's really easy to face rivals in the playoffs just based on everybody being good and the fact that you you have four you have four times to face a rival, right? You have first round, second round, third round. So I don't know if there's anything that would compare. I guess I would probably put Milwaukee, Philadelphia for the right for a championship. But even then, like that's just online chatter. Like I guess Milwaukee, Chicago would be that example, but I, I don't really see it. I don't think we're there just yet. Maybe in a couple of years. But yeah, I don't have a great example for the NBA. Now I will say in the inverse, if you're to NC State, if you're an NC State fan right now, just like take the week off. Like you gotta use blinders. Like they deserve like a fucking hug. So in the last calendar year for NC State, listen to this. They were the best team in the College World Series, couldn't play because of COVID. It was a weird COVID thing. They got hot down the stretch. They're actually going to be like a top team next year. So to kind of springboard the next season, Devin Leary also a Heisman candidate. They Their game gets canceled the day of 
basically from UCLA. That UCLA didn't want to play the Holiday Bowl. They traveled to San Diego. Everything is all good. And fucking the Bruins were at the uh, SeaWorld the day before. But then all of a sudden they can't play because of COVID. Happens the day of. Now, lastly, you have a great women's team. You have a top-ranked women's team. You're in the ACC, which is a pretty good conference for women's hoops with Louisville also there. Uh, Notre Dame, I think, was in the Sweet 16. I don't know a ton about women's hoops, so I'm just giving you basically what I saw from a baseline perspective. But you go and you play Connecticut in Connecticut. So they play in UConn in Bridgeport, Connecticut in the Elite Eight. And they lose, I think they lost in double overtime last night uh, to the Huskies who go to the Final Four. Yet again, you know, are we all, are we surprised? No. And how the hell did NC State as a one seed have to play in Connecticut against a two seed? And now all these fans have to deal with the Duke, North Carolina stuff, which they fucking hate because even though they are a little brother, they pump their chests up. There's a short man syndrome there. So if there's a Wisconsin example of that, guess for like Badger fans, it would be like Indiana Purdue. I feel like that would be our closest one, right? Or like an Illinois Michigan State. For for Marquette, I, I honestly think it would be Wisconsin playing. I don't know. It would be Wisconsin really playing anybody. I think, I think Marquette fans get annoyed whenever Wisconsin's really doing well. Um, and it bothers them to the core. So I, I think it's Wisconsin versus anybody. I think from a sports angle, from a pro sports angle, it'd be like the Cardinals and Cubs in the NL, NLCS. It would be Bears, Vikings in for the right to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, that would be fucking all time bad. Like that would be just, I want to go run and hide. I didn't even mention the Lions, but I, I don't see it. But maybe, who knows? I don't, I don't know if I'd feel the same way if it was like Lions, Vikings. I think I'd still be annoyed and like, how the hell was this not, not us at some point? Uh, basketball, I don't know if there's like a good basketball example. I mean, if it was Philly, Boston this year in the Eastern Conference Finals, that'd be pretty fucking annoying. If it were really anybody but the Bucks in the Finals, I think I'm going to be annoyed. Uh, but that that's more of a Packer thing, I think, because like that's how we felt with the Rams, right? When the Rams were playing the Bengals, we were like, this should be us, man. This shouldn't be the Rams playing Cincinnati. It should be the Packers, and that'll always eat at us. So it, fun little exercise. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, let me know if I missed anything, if I, if I somehow forgot a team. I don't think so. But if I did, feel free to call me out on it on the social medias. All right, let's talk baseball. Uh, the Brewers actually won yesterday in spring training, five to two against the San Francisco Giants. I will not. Re- I don't really care about spring training scores. I don't pay attention to it. Uh, it's you know, it's just fodder, right? It, they're pumping it up right now on the ESPN app, but that's kind of all they have right now. It's like a dice move, right? It's like all they have right now is to talk about. The exhibition, talk a little bit. We have the women's final four is now set. We have the NIT tonight. Like there, there's a little stuff. Now you do get Bucks Sixers, which is a big game. I can't believe that's not on TNT. You have some good NBA for us here in Milwaukee. But for everybody else, it's you know, it's getting ready for the MLB season, Masters, Final Four, yada yada. So with the Brewers, uh Kessinghara has been on an absolute tear this spring training. 
It's been a sight to see that Castanjera has become a legitimate option for the Brewers yet again. And he fixed a toe-tap issue that he had with his swing, and it has propelled him to be excellent. Uh, Castanjera has looked really, really good. He has three home runs uh, in spring training, which I think is tied for the lead with Tyrone Taylor. And here is making a case on why he should be a starter. Now, I think that's a really difficult conversation with what the Brewers have available in terms of a starting lineup. They do have third base open, but Castanjera had problems throwing the ball from second to first. I would imagine Castanjera would have some significant issues throwing the ball from third to first base. I don't know if there is going to be a way to figure out how to get Castanjera on the field right now. That, to me, is the biggest problem. It does make me wonder if David Stearns has sent out an email to somebody and is like, did we know about this hero thing before we signed Andrew McCutcheon? Like, I, Andrew McCutcheon also looked good. Like, he had two home runs in a game against Seattle over the weekend. So it's not like Andrew McCutcheon has looked like some slouch in spring training. He hasn't. But it does make your roster construction a little bit different. And so that makes you wonder, how do you get Hira in this lineup? Do you put Keston in center field to spell Lorenzo Cain at times? And you go with Hunter Renfro or I don't know, you can't put him in center field. There's no way. Who who would then go in center field? Maybe McCutcheon? I'm not sure. Craig Council is the alchemist. Like Craig Council loves to fuck around with lineups. Craig Council loves to fuck around with positions. And he's a guy that, to me, plays positionless baseball. Like it, We see this all the time in the NBA, but nobody is really stuck to their position. And Craig's going to figure out different ways to get guys involved. Maybe Castanjera is your first baseman when uh, they're facing left-handers because then you have a, pl- a natural platoon with him and Rowdy Tellez. And maybe that's what you, that's how you get Castanjera at bats. Tyrone Taylor, they're going to have to figure out. You know, you, I saw Lorenzo Cain advocate for Tyrone about his season. There are a lot of people who think that Tyrone Taylor should be the starting center fielder over Lorenzo Cain. I don't think that's going to happen, at least at the start of the year. I, is it possible that in June you could have Tyrone Taylor being the starter over Low Kane? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a real opportunity. I mean, Lorenzo Kane is kind of at the tail end of his career, and I think he knows that. I think everybody kind of understands that. So if Lorenzo Kane does start to struggle, you know, maybe that's a situation where Tyrone Taylor can kind of rise up and be sort of that center fielder for the Brewers and the future and look at, you know, maybe kind of getting off of Kane's contract in an inspiring year the following year. Who knows? Or maybe inherit some of that dead money and whatever, you know, figure and just figure it out. Figure out how to sort of make it work with Lorenzo Kane if that's kind of the progression of how we're going. I personally think that might be. Um, I think Tyrone Taylor has that ability. But I don't know where you look at for Hira. Here is a guy like I don't necessarily want to give up on. I don't think they should use him in trade talks unless you're going to get like a Jose Ramirez, right? If you are able to get Jose Ramirez for Castanjera and Jose Ramirez is then your third baseman, you're a World Series contender. You, there is a very good opportunity you could win the World Series with that. And I'm not a fan of trading guys like Hira. Now, I realized the Yelch trade 
went completely busted for Miami. Here is an established guy. Here is a guy we know can thrive in the big leagues. And if he goes to the Guardians, uh, that, who knows, man? Like, that could mean that he's, there's not an, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that, Yel, that Hira, excuse me, couldn't win the batting crown, couldn't hit 30 home runs, couldn't be in contention to potentially be an MVP. That's not off the table for Keston Hira. So the question is, is how do you how do you manage that? How do you figure that out? And if you get an attractive enough offer, do you move from it? Do you look at it and say, okay, I want Jose Ramirez, so I'm gonna offer you Castanjera, gonna offer you maybe Ethan Small, let's just say. Like, I don't know, that's a pretty good package already. That to me is one that I think Cleveland would have to think long and hard about. And I'm sure you could throw in some other prospects and whatever, but it's going to be really interesting to see how Craig Council puts all of these pieces together. We saw a lineup yesterday that kind of looked like maybe the lineup of the Brewers' future featuring uh, Telez, Willie Adamas. You had Lorenzo Cain batting second and Adamas batting fifth. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I kind of like Adamas as a Yelich protector, if you will, but, you know, that's... That's more of a personal preference, I guess. And well, and again, it's not set in stone. Craig Council didn't go, oh yeah, that's my lineup. I don't think he ever would. Keston Hura is probably your right-handed first baseman platoon guy uh, for the foreseeable future. I did like what Mike Broussard as like a flyer guy for the, the Tampa Bay Rays. But I don't know if Broussard's going to make the team. Or Brousseau, I guess is his name, not Broussard. There's no D. Uh, Brousseau is going to make it with the emergence of Hira. And we'll see if this can continue in the regular season. We have seen really good springs not turn into great great regular seasons. So there is a proceed with caution, but I'm feeling pretty good about the start for the Castati. Also worth mentioning, a little Rowdy Telez. We're talking first baseman. Will Salmon kind of alluded to, he really thinks that this could be a potential breakout year for Rowdy. And it goes back to what I kind of said. You know, I, I think that sometimes when you have a good second half, it can propel you for the next year. Sometimes I think it can make guys lazy and guys don't want to work at it. And they were like, oh my God, I had this awesome second half. Why can't I just do it again? It's easy enough, right? So I do think that Rowdy is is kind of dedicated to having a massive year. I think Rowdy is going to be very successful for the Brewers. I am I'm on board with the Rowdy breakout. I think it's going to happen. I think he's going to have a really good year for the crew. Lastly, about Albert Pujols. So I don't know if you saw this, but Albert Pujols is a member of the St. Louis Cardinals again. It was made to be a huge deal. Everybody was talking about it. Everyone's like, oh, how good it is to have Albert Pujols back in St. Louis. And I'm like, okay, this guy is an all-time great. All right? Don't get me wrong. It's Hall of Famer. Fine. All right? Like, I, I understand that having him back in St. Louis matters. But the over, like, indulgence of Pujols was so disgusting. Like, this guy is a fucking washed athlete. Like, this guy is not good. He is not good at all. So why the fuck do you think that this will make a difference with this team? If anything, this is a loser mentality from the St. Louis Cardinals. 
This is a team who knows they're going to be 500 or worse because they're bringing on a guy like Pujols. Now they have Yadier Molina too and Adam Wainwright. So guess what? In August and September, when nobody's doing well, they could at least sell like, hey, Albert Pujols is here and Molina's here and Wainwright's here. And like, we could, we could sell that to our, our fans. And our fans will buy tickets to watch their final song, Swan Song. It's like the Eagles, you know, last great concert, right? Where it's like, last time the Eagles will ever perform in in person. Here you go. And it's a cash grab. This is all what it is. I can't believe that people are like talking about this like it's some revered event. Who gives a fuck? He's a 42-year-old athlete who can't really hit anymore. It's so weird. I just, and I know you're going to be like, Charlie, you hate the Cardinals. You're being a hater. Yeah, maybe. But here's the thing. Like, practically, if my team did this, I'd be fucking furious. I I have not seen one take of somebody being mad about this from a Cardinals perspective. Brewers, like, let's just say Prince Fielder had a long career, all right? And the Brewers decided to bring back Prince for his final year. You know what that would signal to me? They're trying to fucking sell tickets for a bad team, a team that's not very good. I think the Cardinals know their team isn't good. So instead of kind of going out with, you know, a whimper or a rebuild, they're going to go out with the guys that got them there and send them off the right way and do it the Cardinal way and all those jerk offs will get off on that. You know, I think I really do think Cardinals fans jerk off to the idea of, of the Cardinal way. Like, I don't know if jerking off is part of the Cardinal way, but I feel like that's what the Cardinal fans do. So, yeah, I I didn't understand the Pujols hype at all. Um, I will probably cut a video as well uh, for this. So if you aren't listening or you're like, hey, I saw this on video first, that's why. So I'm telling you ahead of time. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I do. But I have to talk about this Pujols thing. It's, it's absurd. John Morosi called it like, the most anticipated entrance to spring train. Like, oh my God, just shut up. All right, really quick for Chuck's Corner. I just want to like a PSA to everybody. We don't have to think everything is faked and rigged. I don't know if it was the president before Joe Biden with, with Donald Trump, with the fake news and the misinformation. I don't know if that's how it started. I don't know if it was the opposition to Trump saying that everything was fake news and that everything was misinformation. I don't know if it was, you know, basically I feel like it starts with politics and then it just flows all the way down. So everybody being like, hey, this is fake. This is fake. um, This is staged when it comes to Will Smith. I was like, guys, there's like so much fucking evidence that it isn't fake. Like, uh, how about Will Smith crying? How about the fact that the Academy is like, we might revoke your award? How about the fact that even though it was a publicist, I can't say it, publicist, there we go. That was, I didn't realize that I struggled with that word. Even though it was a publicist press release, it was still an apology. It was still a heartfelt, a lot of adjectives, a lot of remorse, apologizing to Chris Rock. You don't do that shit if it's not fucking fake or if it's fake. 
So all those people that were like, it's fake, it's fake. So stupid. Like, we, I understand, like, we've been fooled. And, you know, I remember the Anthony uh, Davis unibrow thing that turned out to be April Fool's. Like, okay, yes, during April Fool's, you can believe everything is fake. But not every day is fucking April Fool's. We have to get out of this mindset that things are rigged or things are fake. It's just not healthy. It really isn't. Because we're going to go in our life and think everything is predetermined. And that basically there is a plan for everything. Some people think that's the case with Duke, right? Some people think that it was predetermined that Duke would be in the Final Four. No matter what. I don't agree with that at all. Duke's looked like one of the best team in college basketball besides Kansas. Duke, Kansas, Villanova have all looked like the best teams in college basketball and North Carolina for that matter. To me, like this is not, there's not one example of a team who doesn't deserve to be there. So to be like, oh, it's rigged. It's not, okay? Let's stop with that mentality. I think that it's one of those things that gets us to the point where we feel like everything is against us or we feel it's against what conventional wisdom might be. We need to embrace that things are always going to go our way, okay? We're also, we also need to embrace that things like Will Smith slapping a dude in person can actually happen because we live in a lawless society. My wife was in CVS the other day, right? And dogs just were in there. They, they don't have a sign like, hey, dogs are allowed or service dogs only and the dogs that were in there were not fucking service dogs. Like it was like a corgi puppy and something else. If it's a service dog, obviously a different story. But people are just bringing their dogs in. And CES doesn't like regulate it at all. Doesn't say, hey, don't bring your dog in here. I mean, that's wild to me, right? That's wild that people just allow this shit to happen. And that's what I mean. It's... It, it is a lawless society where there are very few rules and maybe we need to tighten up on those rules. But I feel like once the genie is out of the bottle, it's really hard to get it back. And I think that's the same way with thinking things are fake news or misinformation. That genie is so far out the fucking bottle. That genie is, is like a person at this point. So I don't know if we're able to basically rein it in and say, okay, is this fake? Is this real? Because there's a lot of bias that goes on in our media, both sides of the aisle, that they want however you lean politically to feel. So you'll read an article and be like, okay, I I feel this kind of way because they're speaking to my ideology. Let's try to not think everything is set up. Let's not say that the NCAA rigged it for Duke if Duke wins. Now, if there's a foul discrepancy and it looks really bad, well, that's potent that's potentially an issue. But let's hope it doesn't happen that way. Let's hope it's a clean game. Let's hope it's a good game. And hopefully everybody can enjoy the Final Four. All right, that does it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we will recap Buck Sixers. Uh, and then whatever else. Matt LaFleur speaking with the media. Uh, we didn't do anything with Brian Gunacus, so maybe we'll wrap up that with the coaches' meeting about comments from LaFleur, as well as comments from Gunacus, some key takeaways there. 
And then who knows what else? All right. Take care. Have a good one. We'll talk tomorrow. See you. Bye.